Do you have any regrets? Have you made any mistakes? Sin. Do you ever think, if only I hadn't? I put my hand up. Times we suffer from guilt and condemnation. I know that experience. Not often, but I've been there. Guilt and condemnation are two of Satan's greatest weapons against you and against all Christians. Let's go to Revelation chapter 12 for our first scripture in verse 9 to 10. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He is cast to the earth and his angels were cast out with him. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now salvation, strength, and the kingdom of our God, and the power of his Christ has come. For the accuser of the brethren, who accused them before our God day and night, has been cast down. The accuser of the brethren, accuser of you and me, day and night, he never stops throwing something at you to make you feel of less value and of less worth. And when we feel condemned, when we feel guilty, do you know what it does? It undermines our faith and our confidence in God to bless us. Because we kind of feel we're not worthy. We feel unworthy. So why should God answer our prayers? We, we don't expect Him to bless us, do us good. We, we just don't deserve it. We're guilty. We're you know, condemned by, by, by the devil in our thinking at least. And it's a real masterstroke of Satan. Why? To blunt our faith. Because faith is the key to accessing things from God. You know, according to your faith, be it unto you. So Satan's got to have a go at your faith all the time to diminish it, to blunt it, and to hinder our relationship with God. Romans 8 verse 1, There is now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus, who obviously walk in the ways of the Lord. Let's go to Philippians 3, verse 13, for another really important scripture that we've got to tackle and deal with in our lives. 3, verse 13 says, Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do. Everyone say one thing. One. Yeah, one thing I do. You know, Paul, this is a great apostle, Paul. He's cutting it all down and slicing it all up and brings us down. Hey, here's now there's this one thing you and I, and he needed to do. This one thing I do, forgetting those things that are behind. That's all the bad things, and sometimes the good things, because that can hold it up as well. And reaching forward to those things which are ahead. You know, we cannot, you cannot successfully lay hold of your future unless you effectively deal with your past and leave it behind. If you keep looking back, you will stumble and fall. You'll be paralyzed. You've got to leave it behind once and for all and move forward into the future that God has for us. That's why Paul said, this one thing I do. I've got to do this one thing. The past is past. There's not, nothing you can do about the past, quite frankly, but there's a lot you can do about to secure a great future. And that is the message of Christ. That's the message of the gospel. And we must receive total forgiveness, total, for every sin, every mistake we have ever made in our lives. And I think one of the most powerful biblical truths for you and I to understand and get a revelation of is this, is how completely God forgives us. 
of every mistake, every failure, every sin, how completely we are forgiven. When we come to him in repentance, of course. Psalm 103, verse 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. That is a long, long way. Let me share with you for a few moments William Booth, the great founder of the Salvation Army. Motto, blood and fire. Fantastic. But God gave him an experience of heaven that actually transformed his life and gave him a passion for a lost world. But in part of this vision or dream he had, he says these words. It was way beyond anything on earth. All before me, as though unfolded by an angel's hand, the record of my past life was unrolled before my eyes. With my quickened mind, I saw to my delight that this register contained no records of any misdeeds before my conversion. No records. Neither was there any record of the sins I had done since that time. It was as though some friendly hand had gone through and blotted out the record of evil doings in my life. I felt like shouting praises to God. I bet he did. I'm not surprised that changed his life forever. And the truth is this, as we come to Christ in repentance, every sin, every mistake, every failure that's been confessed to God has been removed from the eternal records. There actually is no record. You could try and find it when you get to heaven and say, God, this day I committed this sin and I had this jealousy and I made this mistake. And you say, God, can I see that? He'll say, sorry, no record. Wiped out, gone, under the blood of Jesus Christ. Wow. Our feelings may tell us we're guilty, we're bad. We're sinners, we've failed, we're not forgiven. But feelings aren't reliable. One day you feel good, <laughs> next day you feel bad. Feelings change. Guess what doesn't change? The blood of Jesus cleanses from all sin. You, whoever believes in him shall be saved. Doesn't matter how you feel, whether you feel saved or not saved, you feel guilty, condemned, or it doesn't matter. It's the book. Stay with the book. It will never change its mind. It will never alter. It is eternal and forever. If you're saved, you've given your life to Christ. Whether you feel like you're going to heaven or not, guess what? You're on the right plane. <laughs> you will get there. And God will make sure of it. I just want to back up a little bit before we get too excited about what God's done for us and ask this question. How would you like it if a list of all your sins and weaknesses were made public? Who would like that? No hands go up. How would you feel if they were posted way up high for the world to see? You know, your name and then list. 
Some of us, that list will be mighty long. It'd probably circle the globe for some of us. Well, there actually is a list of your failures. Don't get too excited yet. Wait till I finish. There is a list. Christ has listed them, and it's been made public. But you've never seen it, and nor have I. We can't see the list. Why can't we see the list? Because of the cross. You see, as Jesus was being nailed to the cross, follow me please. He could have stopped the soldier, couldn't he? He had all power. This was the hands that created the worlds, that stilled the storm, that raised the dead, that opened blind eyes. He could have stopped the soldier. Easy, he could have called on 10 legions of angels and said, hey, guys, sorry, it's all over. You guys are going on the cross and I'm coming down. He, he could have done that. He had the power. But he didn't. He didn't resist the hand of the soldier. Why? Because he saw something. that made him keep his hands open. See, the crowd concluded that the cross and the purpose of the nails was to crucify Jesus, kill him, rid the earth of him. But it was only partly right. They couldn't see the rest. But Jesus could, and heaven could, And so can you. Colossians 2, verse 14. These incredible words. Having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us. It's written. Handwriting. That's the list. which was contrary to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it, the list, to the cross. Between Jesus and the wood, I want to suggest, there was a list, a long list, a list of our sins, our mistakes, our lusts, our greedy moments, our backslidings. Hanging from the cross, an itemized list of your sins, the bad decisions from last year, the terrible attitudes from last week, the sins of each day. In broad light for all heaven to see, it's a list of your sins, but they cannot be read. They cannot be read because they are hidden. They're hidden under the blood. Of Jesus Christ. He has covered all your sins. That handwriting of broken commandments that was against you, Jesus, through Jesus, were nailed to the cross and his blood flowed. Another translation of Colossians 2 puts it this way He has forgiven you all your sins, 
He has utterly wiped out the written evidence of broken commandments and has completely annulled them by nailing it to the cross. And this is why Jesus refused to close his fist. He saw your sins. The only way those sins could be dealt with is if his hands were pierced and his blood flowed and your sins could be covered and forgiven once and for all. He knew the price of those sins was an eternal separation from God. He knew the price was that you would not get to heaven, but you'd go to a place called hell, an eternity without Christ and without hope. He kept his hands open and refused to close them, refused to stop the hand of the soldier because he saw you. He looked down the passage of time to 2014 today, and he saw you. Looking at you, he said, he said, I cannot close my hands. I can't bear the thought of eternity without you. Kept them open. That is the message of the cross. Max Licardo, who I got some of these thoughts from, I want to quote him. He says this, The hand squeezing the handle was not a Roman soldier. The force behind the hammer was not an angry mob. The verdict behind death was not decided by the jealous Jews. Jesus himself chose the nails. He knew that the purpose of the nails was to place your sins where they could be hidden by his sacrifice and covered by his blood. As Jesus opened his hands for the nails, the door of heaven was opened for you and for me. Proverbs 10, verse 12, love covers all sin. What covered your sin? The love of God. He loves you so much. And when you love someone that much, you'll cover their sins, which is what Jesus has done for you and for me. And it doesn't matter how many times you may repeat that sin. If you come back to Jesus in repentance and confession, he will forgive you. Human being may forgive you five times, ten times, fifty times, but Jesus will forgive you endlessly if you keep coming back to him. Because the blood of Jesus can never lose its power. Whether you're confessing the sin for the first time or the thousandth time, the blood covers. Not that that's a license to sin, God forbid but we need to understand how completely God forgives us because that's going to give us faith to believe him to bless us and do us good. Forgetting that which is behind, I press forward to the future God has for me. I want you to come with me to Luke chapter 15 where we look at the prodigal son for a few moments because there's a great story here, I believe, of forgiveness that 
God offers every one of us. Luke 15, verse 11. A certain man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Give me the portion of goods that falls to me. Many days after the younger son gathered all together, they journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. When he had spent all, all there, he arose. there arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of the country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. He would have gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swan ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have be- bread enough and spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father. I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven. And before you, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me one of your hired servants. He rose, came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father, this is a picture of God, saw him, had compassion, and ran. Prodigal son fell on his neck, kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. No longer worthy to be called your son. Father said to his servants, bring out the best robe. Put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. What an amazing story. Picture of God the Father and you as his son or his daughter. And I ask the question, why did the father run when the son decided to come back? Why not walk? Why not just wait? This son had caused incredible pain and hurt to the father. Why run? Why not make him grovel a little bit? Beg his way back and penance and suffer a little bit. Well, you see, intense love always runs to the one it loves. Intense love can't do anything else but run. And he also runs to you and to me, especially when we turn to him in repentance, confess our sins. We tend to think, will God still love me, accept me, bless me, receive me? You know, the action of running to the prodigal tells us this. Listen, there is not one ounce of rejection in the Father's heart towards you. Not one ounce 
We live in a world of rejection. We live in a world of being turned aside and turned away. But our God is different. And it doesn't matter how you have lived your life. If you come to Him in repentance and confession, He will forgive you. But not only will He forgive you, there's no rejection left. There is complete and total acceptance of you in Jesus Christ. All too much for me, I tell you. God's love for you is so great. Listen, there is nothing you could ever do to make Him love you less than He does today. Nothing. It's impossible. Because this is an unconditional love. No conditions attached. Most of us know very little about that, and certainly I know very little. But there's another reason the Father ran. And this is amazing. Because he had good news for the servant, for his son. Good news. See, the son said, I'll come back and, hey, just be a hired hand. And he would have been happy to have that. But the father had good news for him. He said, no, no. You're not going to be a hired hand. I'm going to give you the full rights of a true son. And despite our past and our failings and our foolishness and our mistakes, God has still a great future for every single person seated in this auditorium today. It doesn't matter. The past does not matter. Ultimately, God has a great future. His plans for you are for good and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. That is the message of this book. Future, hope, purpose. How God works it around, I don't always know, but that's the message, and I live by that message. And you must too as long as you can forget what's behind. That's the thing that can cripple us. Don't let the devil lie to you that your past sins disqualify you. When he reminds you of your past, you know how it goes, remind him of his future. He's going to a place that's real hot and it lasts forever. Okay, let's go to one more passage a little Judges chapter 11, I just want to look at one more person that that hopefully will also inspire you. Judges 11, we're going to look at Jephthah. Judges 11. Now Jephthah the Gileadite was a mighty man of valor, but he was the son of a harlot. Not a good start. And Gilead begot Jephthah. Gilead's wife bore sons. And when his wife's son grew up, they drove Jephthah out and said to him, you shall have no inheritance in our father's house. Your father God will never say that to you. For you are the son of another woman. And Jephthah fled from his brothers and dwelt in the land of Tob. And worthless men banded together with Jephthah and he went out raiding with him. 
Jephthah had three strikes against his name, like many of us. He's an illegitimate child, strike one. He's the son of a prostitute, strike two. He's raised in a home of hatred and hostility, strike three. He's kicked out of home. And no doubt, according to that passage, took up the life of a rebel. He was on a one-way street going nowhere. Then miraculously, miraculously everything changes. And soon we find Jephthah, the misfit, the reject, the rebel, the son of a prostitute, the illegitimate child, a leader, a mighty man of valor in God's work and kingdom. How can that be? How can God do that? He had no rightful place to such a position and high calling. But God says to you and to me in 1 Samuel 2 verse 8, He raises the poor from the dust, lifts the beggar from the ash heap or dunghill, and sets them among princes and makes them inherit the throne of glory. It's true that Jephthah had no rightful place to this calling, and it would have been all true except for one thing, God's grace and the cross and the work of Jesus that we celebrate. God makes champions out of losers, successes out of rejects, winners out of failures. Mary Baxter wrote the divine revelation of how God took her to heaven, I think, at least 11 times. She was shown what happens when a person is saved. You may be interested to read this or hear this. She saw that there were rooms of records up in heaven. And she was saying a room that contained the name of a man who had just been saved down on earth. And it was like a library with a whole lot of books and shelves and all these different books on it. And a book was pulled from the shelf by an angel which contained the record of the man who had just been saved. What had happened is two angels had been in the service where this man was saved. They took his record book to the angel in charge. And the two angels had a scroll with his name written on it. Had the name of the country, city, and the church on the scroll. Details of the offering were recorded. I thought that was humorous. The saved man's name was recorded on paper. The message preached was recorded. And the exact time he got saved, it's all documented in the record. When the angels reported the man's salvation, all heaven began to praise and magnify the Lord. And the redeemed saints began to sing this. Nothing but the blood of Jesus can wash my sins away. And it goes on from there. She noticed in this vision or dream or whatever it was, page after page of this man's book had been washed in the blood of Jesus. Then she saw the Lamb's book of life. She saw it on the altar of God. Then she saw this hand come out of the cloud. I suggest the hand of God. Open the book up. And the man's name was written in the Lamb's book of life. Revelation 20, 12 following says, I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. 
and the books were opened. Everyone was judged according to their deeds. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Martin Luther was seriously ill. The devil appeared to him, smiling, and rolled this huge scroll. Listed off all Luther's sins to him, one by one. Luther read the list with his heart sinking, they're all true. But then suddenly flashed into Luther's mind something not written there. And he said, Satan, these are all true. But one thing you have forgotten, the blood of Jesus cleanses from all sin. That moment the devil disappeared and vanished. He cannot stand before the blood of Jesus. We are forgiven. All our sins have been nailed to the cross under the blood of the Lamb. There's no record left of your sins. None of us need live in guilt or condemnation. None of us need to live in regret of past failures and mistakes. God says, encourage us, forget what is behind and press forward to the future. Regardless of your past, God has a great future for every single one of us. If you struggle with condemnation, quote to the devil, Romans 8 verse 1, there is therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who walk according to his ways. Quote that to him and then walk in freedom, victory, and joy because of the forgiveness that you have through Jesus Christ. There is not one sin recorded against your name. The blood of Jesus will never lose its power.